and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, and this is it, the very last message in 1 Peter, and then we'll just jump in and uh, go through 2 Peter 2, two great little books in the New Testament. Um, Has anybody here ever heard of Oscar Wilde's only novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray? Well, I haven't read it, and I'm not recommending it, uh, but... Uh, the storyline is very creative, and sometimes you just hear about the storyline of a book and you think, well, that's clever and, and something to think about. In the book, there's an artist, and his name is Basil, Basil Howard, and he does a full-length oil portrait inspired by a man named Dorian Gray and how handsome Dorian Gray was. In pursuit of a life of pleasure, Dorian desires to sell his soul to ensure that the picture, rather than he, will age and fade. Now, did you get that? He wants to keep getting, staying young, and anything that happens to him will be taken out on the picture, not on him, right? Uh, And since it's a fictional book, they can do it. His wish is granted. He always stays young and handsome. All the while, the portrait ages and records every soul-corrupting sin on it. And uh, what a powerful metaphor. I think that's a metaphor. Uh, We can look good on the outside, but when we look at our portrait in the mirror, when we look into our own eyes, we know the truth about ourselves, the tiredness, the emptiness, and failures our need before God. And because the work of that self-realization and repentance is so painful, many times we deflect it by simply uh, judging others. Uh, I love what George W. Bush uh, quoted at... He said this at the memorial service for those Dallas police officers uh, that were killed um, a few years back. He said, too often we judge others by their worst examples and ourselves by our best intentions. (laughs) And we're just kind of like that, aren't we? Uh, We we don't get done everything we'd like to, but we're always thinking that's who we are, the things we didn't get done but wanted to do. Uh, But uh, with others, we uh, judge them very hard by the, the worst moments of their lives rather than giving them a break too. But the Bible is absolutely relentless in exposing our need of more Jesus. I mean, uh, less of us, more of Him. I love John the Baptist in John 3.30 when his disciples came to him and said, you know, Jesus is getting real popular and, you know, even some of your your guys are following Him instead of you. And John the Baptist grinned and said, hey, He must increase, but I must decrease. That was the whole point, to make much of Jesus. That's why I said when I saw him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, And we do well to point people to Jesus. Uh, The Bible's relentless in exposing our need of more Jesus. God will not let us build monuments to ourselves. And in some ways, this humbling time, I think the old Puritans called times like the pestilence that we've been through with COVID a time of humiliation. Sometimes just for a nation, you know, there's been national events of humiliation, but this was international probably to give people uh, one real good chance to repent and get right with God before the rapture and the tribulational events to come. Uh, And it may very well be 
factoring into that. We don't know. The Lord may tarry another hundred years. doesn't seem like the world can handle another hundred years at the rate it's going with the sins that, that are out there and the denial of basic common sense on gender and other things. But the, um, God will tear down our pride. He'll subject us to times of discipline so our faith will grow and our character will be built. One of the verses I love a lot is Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will be carried on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Have you ever sang that little song? He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Well, Peter's taught us much about how God allows, his, allows and uses suffering um, in his little book, 1 Peter. Um, I just uh, am so thankful that uh, Peter has shown his pastor's heart during this book and in so many ways led us back to the great shepherd. And uh, it would uh, just and, and is a perfect model for all of us other shepherds that follow in the footsteps of Peter, but really are in love with the great shepherd, Jesus. So in the last passage, we got one last beautiful truth for the Christian. Restoration is guaranteed. And that's the title of today's message is restoration guaranteed, because whatever we face in life, um, the best is yet to come for believers. So first Peter five, verses eight through 14. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And then it's kind of a benediction he gives us here. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. I'm reading from the New King James. If you've got another translation, there's four words there, and they all uh, line up with the words I shared, but it's just four beautiful words there about Peter's hope that what God will do and his certainty that what God would do uh, as we uh, come out of suffering and go on to eternal life with the Lord in heaven. Whatever suffering, Billy Hancock, my, my dear brother, who I got to baptize, he and his wife, and had such a great testimony turning to Christ, did... Uh, still have some struggle with alcohol. Um, he he uh, was following the Lord. He missed his dear wife so, um, but uh, he is home with Jesus now and so excited and glad for him. After that suffering, Christ Jesus will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12, by Silvanus, we also call him Silas, by Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, John Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Restoration guaranteed. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that the gospel changes everything. The moment a sinner turns to you, their sins are forgiven, past, present, future. They go from being a sinner who is under the wrath of God to a sinner saved by grace. Thank you for the reserved place in heaven each of us has by faith in you. 
Thank you for God the Holy Spirit indwelling us and for the great promise that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Even as one more time we look at Satan, our enemy, and how he hates our guts and wants to devour us, we're thankful that uh, we have eternal security in Jesus Christ as believers, that we have a purpose and plan to lead others to Christ along the way and take others to heaven with us, and we've got a retirement plan that's out of this world. Thank you that you guarantee not only every believer's full restoration with you, but also, as Acts 3 talks about, one day there will be a renewal of all things, and we'll be in new bodies on a new earth forever with the Lord. God, we love you. We pray that as we look at this passage, you'd inspire us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's just walk through verse 8 before we look at the three promises the believer has amid suffering. It's really a grand finale like a fireworks show as this, as this uh, um, First Peter ends. But it says in verse 8, we have to be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, there is a devil. A lot of people in the world deny there's a devil, but 1 Peter 5, 8 says it clearly right here. We have an adversary who hates our guts. He is the devil. John 10, 10, the first part, gives his job description. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The second part of that same verse gives Jesus' job description. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and might have it to the full. Satan wants death. God wants life. Another place says that Satan is the father of lies, and he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And we know that he tempted Adam and Eve at the very beginning, right? And he threw before them the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus. Where Adam and Eve failed miserably, uh, Jesus did not. Jesus was our victorious conqueror. He succeeded where all other humans had failed. And when um, we look at our lives and the way Satan and his demons have come and tempted us, we know many times one of those things got us. The lust of the eyes sometimes got us. The lust of the flesh sometimes got us. The pride of life sometimes got us. Uh, but Jesus saved us not because we were worthy, but because of his own faithfulness, his own justness, and doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So it says we have an adversary, the devil. What else does it say about him here? He walks about like a roaring lion. There's some good news there and there's some bad news. He goes around the earth prowling and working through his demons, but the good news is he can't be in every, everywhere at one time. He's not like Jesus uh, who is omniscient and the Holy Spirit of Jesus is every place, everywhere, uh, always searching in the world, always uh, holding things together in the world, you know. Uh, and so, um, Satan is pretty formidable, but he's no match for Jesus. I think about the book of Revelation where Satan, in his gall, uh, comes up with a false trinity, right? And he puts himself on par with the Father, and then there's an antichrist, and he wants to correspond to Jesus while Jesus was on earth, and, uh, the and, and then the uh, false pro um, uh, prophet. So Jesus, uh, or uh, Satan, antichrist, false prophet, and the false prophet corresponds with the Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, uh, when in Revelation 12, when Satan gets what's coming to him, according to that great passage, who's the one that gets to beat him up? Do you know Revelation 12 enough to know who's the one? When it's time for Satan to get what's coming to him, who deals with him? One of the archangels. 
Michael, right? So he's more like an archangel who'll be defeated by another archangel. He's not on par with God. So it's not God and Satan. It's God and the liar, right? The, the rebellious angel who led a third of heaven away with him. Revelation 12 lets us know about a third of the holy angels became demons and they're the ones operating. So God's got two thirds. There's one third uh, that are um, demons now and they are active in the world uh, trying to advance Satan's causes. But uh, we just need to be sober and vigilant. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I love how we're told in James that if we resist the devil, what will he do? He'll flee from us. America's biggest problem right now is we're resisting God, right? If a Christian resists Satan, Satan flees from them. If a Christian in sin resists God, then they grieve the Holy Spirit. They're in a state of defeatedness that's constant until they repent. Uh, one burden and trouble after another, a sense of loss of joy and all those things. When a nation that doesn't know God resists God, they stay under His hand of judgment. And uh, so America's, you know, uh, not even believing that Satan's real. He's powerful, but he's not as powerful as God. But the biggest problem is we're resisting God, right? So we're told to be sober, be vigilant, just be ready. Um, there's a great passage that says we know his devices, you know, and we should. His lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. He'll come at us extra hard uh, with when the word halt describes when he'll come at us extra hard when we're hungry, alone, lonely or tired. Right. When we get in isolation, he wants to pick us off. That's one of the things we're looking for. Times when we're not at our best. Uh, I heard a frightening podcast the other day uh, coming back from well, yesterday, coming back from Richmond. And the fellow said that for the teenager that commits suicide, there's 45 minutes between the thought of doing it and actually doing it. Whoa. And that means we got to be out there proactive with hope. Right. You know, uh, we got to make sure we tell people that God loves them. He's got a purpose and plan for their life. Uh, they don't have to live the sinful script they're living. You know, there is forgiveness with God. Uh, there's a lot of work for us to do. Um, so the bad news is he wants to do us harm and he's prowling around to do it. The good news is that uh, he um, can be resisted. So James is joined by Peter in verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And that's going to bring us to where you get to start filling in the blanks. Three promises the believer has amidst suffering. The first one is, you're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one suffering. It is good news in verse 9 when Peter says, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, your brothers and sisters in the world. Um, you've probably done this. When I talk to discouraged people, they are doing this. Too many times we act like we're the only ones going through difficulties and we get mad at God that our way has been tough. And we're not alone in this. Some of the greats in the Bible did it. I mean, Elijah, tremendous prophet. And all of a sudden there he is throwing a pity party for himself, right? Uh, Moses uh, had a great call of God on his life. And he's like, what have you brought me out here to do with these people, Lord? You know, um, and oftentimes we see that. And that's why I'm so glad that the scriptures and our Lord and Savior Jesus is so honest with us. What did he tell us? In the world, you will have what? Trouble or persecution. In this world, you will have troubles. You'll have tribulations. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm so glad that the great apostle Paul 
uh, you know, not only modeled for us receiving a no to his prayer that his eyes would get better. You know, he, he prayed and fasted three different times that it would go away and it didn't. And God had to teach him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to use this weakness for my strength. It's not going to be easy for you. It's going to be one of the things that you're an overcomer in. You know, you're going to have to persevere through. But I'm so glad he wrote to Timothy. He was passing the baton along to Timothy. And there's always those jokers out there that say, hey, if you're doing everything right, you'll have success and not sorrow and struggle, you know, and sometimes it's struggle. And Paul wrote to Timothy and said, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, you know. And there's a spectrum of that from insult to loss of relationship, sometimes with family members. Jesus himself prepared us for that, you know, uh, that uh, if you love Jesus and family members don't, whether they're your parents or your children uh, or your siblings, Sometimes, as much as you love them, you're just the aroma of death when you're around them because they're not following the Lord. And uh, to others that are following the Lord, your brothers and sisters in Christ and your family members that are too, you're the aroma of life, right? As Paul talked about in Corinthians. I think about Jeremiah. Um, I would much rather be like Jeremiah than Jonah in the person that they were, right? Jonah wasn't right with God. He was running from God, running from God's call in his life. But I'd much rather have the results that Jonah had than that Jeremiah had, you know? Nobody got to write a better prayer letter in the Bible than Jonah. Hey, all you my supporters back in Israel, I came up here to Nineveh. I preached the Holy Word. I called them to repentance. 120,000 did. How about that, you know? Man, you're, you're sending your money to the right place. We're told that Jeremiah, we, I've always been told he had no converts, and maybe that's right. I know that he had a Baruch that uh, was his uh, secretary there. But, you know, all around Jeremiah, people were saying, if you, do this, if you get the faith formula right, God will bless uh, Israel again, and, and this captivity is going to be short. And uh, Jeremiah said, they're all lying to you. They're all lying to you. He said, he said he took a vase and he dropped it and it broke. And he said, that's the false and hollow promises these false teachers, uh, these health, wealth, gospel guys are making to you. They say you're going to get to go right back and there's not going to be much more of this of captivity to Babylon. He said, I'm telling you, it's going to last for 70 years. God's told me to tell you to, to live just to preserve the faith for your great-grandchildren's generation. They're the ones that are going to get to go back to the promised land. You're going to live in Babylon all of your life, young men and women. And you need to be faithful so that a faithful remnant can go back to Jerusalem one day. And, uh, you know, it may take another three or four generations if the Lord tarries before America has a revival. And uh, we want them to find things we've written, uh, letters and uh, devotionals and sermon tapes and other things, you know. And uh, we want them to be able to great, fondly uh, point to the picture and say, you know, now that I'm finally meeting Jesus, I want to talk to you about great granddaddy Bobby, you know, and how he followed Jesus, you know. Uh, you're not the only one suffering. Well, back in chapter 4, Peter told us not to be surprised by suffering, but to embrace it for how we grow through it and get opportunities to share God's love through it. Um, and, uh, of course, we could have mentioned Elijah, uh, we, you know, the direct harassment by Queen Jezebel and... Um, you know, he said, I'm the only one. And how many did God tell him hadn't bowed the knee to Baal in the country? 7,000, right? 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And I think we probably have a few more than 7,000 faithful Christians in America. But uh, in Israel's day, it was 7,000 among several million people, you know, but they were faithful and it was a remnant that God would use in the future. 
and we're a remnant in America right now. Uh, and uh, God, uh, as we pray and cry out to Him, hopefully revival will come. I like how in Revelation 1, John described himself to the ones he was speaking to and uh, that first audience as partners in tribulation. You know, John got that great vision in the cave there on Patmos, came down and delivered it to all his other political prisoner pastor friends that were also crushing rock there on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, he says, uh, we're all partners in tribulation that comes from knowing and serving Jesus Christ. Press on, dear saint, you're not alone. So he says, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we can look historically and talk about the faithfulness our brothers and sisters have had amidst suffering for 2,000 years. We can look to places around the world. Uh, my goodness, uh, um, I like podcasts, as you know, good Christian podcasts and sports podcasts and other things. Elizabeth has really started to like them, too. You know, on your phone, there's podcast apps and you can pull different things in. And she's just found some wonderful ones, you know. And I've learned that if my wife says, you need to listen to this and we're in the car for two hours, it's just easier to listen to it than to not say, no, please don't do that to me, you know. Um, and it's always good. It's just, you know, I got my own things I want to listen to, but she played one for me. Woo! And it was a lady interviewing a pastor from Iran and uh, very powerful. And I've already told you, one of the fastest growing places in the world for the faith right now is Iran. So many neat stories out of there. But he and his wife had actually made it to America. And uh, his wife said, we've got to go back. He said, you know, we could die there. She said, we've got to go back. I'm floundering among all this prosperous Christianity in America. There are so many neat things here, and it's a blessing. It's great, but we need to go back. We need to go back to our people who are perishing and going to hell. We need to go back, and they did, and they have, and God has done tremendous things, you know. And they deliberately made that decision. And uh, I'll never forget hearing of, uh, you know, the testimony of a godly brother that was a member of our church for a while in Waynesboro, serving in a Christian organization. He had been, it was like having the Apostle Paul with us, my goodness, Muslim background believer, uh, and he um, serves with a ministry that takes the gospel, um, you know, to all over the world. Um, but his story was he was saved in Egypt, and the church wouldn't accept him. They said, we need to know you're serious about this. Well, how will you know I'm serious about this so you'll accept me into membership? He said, we'll know you're serious when you bring 10 others with you ready to be baptized. Six months later, he was back with 10 others that now knew Jesus and were ready to be baptized. They said, okay, we know you're serious now. They did that. Uh, the pastor knew that welcoming them into their more um, established, old-style church there in Egypt would mean... Um, trouble for the church, and it did. The secret police started infiltrating the church. Um, and uh, my brother was, this, this, this Christian brother, was one of the ones that they come to knew was the ringleader and all these new converts and stuff. So in some of these countries, they actually will have the police take men like that to the station and as part of humiliating them, do unspeakable, even sexual things to them uh, to try to humiliate them into renouncing their faith. And we've got brothers and sisters all throughout the Middle East who have endured stuff like that and keep on serving Jesus anyway. And so Peter says, yeah, when next time you think it's, you know, what you're going through, 
uh, was tough. Remember, others have had it a lot tougher and uh, just uh, very inspiring. Well, secondly, Jesus promises full restoration for suffering believers. We see that in verse 10. I think verse 10 is among one of the greatest promises of the Bible. It says, May the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I think he's picturing uh, what you'll feel about suffering looking back, you know, when we're with the Lord in heaven. Suffering takes its toll on us, but it's not the end of the story. Isn't that a great name for God? The God of all grace. Uh, is that how it says it in some of the other translations? Who has the King James? How does the King James say? May the... Is that a God of all grace? Any other translations say it a little bit differently than anybody has? May the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, effectual calling, the Holy Spirit drew you, the sinner, to Christ the Savior, and you've been following Him ever since. Uh, you know, I believe I made a free will decision to follow Christ, but I also look back and go, you ever seen a moth just go on up to the flame and get buzzed, you know, and stuff like that? When I look back on my own conversion story, all of a sudden I went from somebody that was foul-mouthed toward Jesus and Christians, all of a sudden to saying, I can't help it. There's forgiveness and eternal life there and salvation and purpose. And all of a sudden I was one of the Christians and I'd been mocking them just the day before. Uh, and there's just something, you know, I don't know if anybody here is a Star Trek. No, yeah, Star Trek. Star, that's the one, Joey. Not Star Wars, but Star Trek. Remember that tractor beam, beam Joey? If, if I'm the mothership and you're the, the shuttlecraft, right? If I slip the tractor beam on you, what happens? You're, you're coming in. You want to come in. But it's also just pulling you in like gravity. And I can't understand everything about how the Holy Spirit works, but it's like that. You know, He just locks on to a sinner, and the sinner has this inclination all of a sudden that they didn't have before to to turn to Christ and follow Him, and He just pulls them on in, you know, and they're with Him ever, ever, ever after, which is great. Um, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Um, let's just look again at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I think if I, and I want to remind you that 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, all the way down through verse uh, um, 12, I think is one verse in the Greek, just one long sentence in the Greek. So just like Paul does in Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 14, one real long sentence in the Greek, Peter is so excited about telling you who you are in Christ. And if I could just have one section to have people memorize uh, from 1 Peter, it probably would be verses 3 through 9 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has borne us again, begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, so many precious promises that we can take to the bank there. Um, 
Whew, I'm glad that the bank of heaven runs on time and is efficient and everything is nicely tucked away. Uh, one of the local banks that I bank at is changed their computer system. I spent three hours at the bank today. Uh, first getting a little cash to give a fellow that had the house sat for us while we were in Richmond. And uh, the rest of the time going back and getting them to reset my system so I could do the online uh, stuff and things like that. It was a miserable, miserable time. I'm glad the bank of heaven is much more efficient than that. So look at this great promise to suffering believers. The God of grace will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now, one thing that's very interesting there is that um, in the Greek, it says himself will do these things. So um, the Holman Christian Standard Bible actually puts it in this way. The God of all grace will himself. And but they, they're putting in English words to help us there. Um, I'm trying to communicate it to you guys. I, I think I'm trying. I think you're tracking with me. Um, Peter just stops and says, let me tell you what himself will do. And he's talking about the God of all grace. Himself is coming your way. You know, the God of grace himself, but he but himself and uh, he's not going to delegate this task to angels. Himself will personally do these things. Um, himself will restore you. He'll perfect you. He'll establish you. He'll strengthen you and settle you after you have suffered a little. The great I am will himself do these things. Now let's look a little closer at these four words. Um, the word for perfect is katarizo. Uh, you've heard of something being cathartic. You've heard of uh, catheterizing a wound, right? Helping a wound that is uh, uh, out there be cath catheterized. It's that same word bank uh, that we're coming from. It means to put in order, to mend, to reestablish, to make whole. Oh, no matter what you've gone through, whether it's a physical pain, an emotional pain, a spiritual pain, himself, he'll perfect you. He'll establish you. That's the word sterizo. Now, when you hear sterizo, what do you think of? You've got to sterilize the wound, right? You're not, you didn't need to get it not to just to stop bleeding. You need to sterilize it. So sterizo, to set up, to fix firmly, to establish, to strengthen. So um, if catharisto was used in the gospel of mending broken nets, you know, just broken needs to be fixed up, then you've got to um, establish it after that. Um, so making it all the stronger. The next word is strengthen, which is stethano. You're uh, trying to think of some words, but you, you can almost hear stethoscope in there. Stethano, to strengthen, make strong, an even bigger word for being strong. And uh, only um, used once in the New Testament for the word for, uh, the stethano there, and here it is. And then for settle is themaleo. Uh, to make a foundation, to provide a solid foundation. And all four are in the future active indicative third singulars. So what does that mean? It means this is a promise of what Jesus will do in the future for his believers, the ones who, compared to heaven, anything we go through right now is, is suffering, right? So it's the only suffering believers will ever do now, and it, the best is yet to come. So four future inde active indicative singulars to tell you about things that are going to happen and won't be undone for every believer after this brief time of suffering is over. Unbeliever has nothing like that, do they? This world is the best it is, and then after this, hell to pay. 
And that's so sad to think about because, you know, as good as this world can be, uh, it is no replacement for heaven and the new earth to come. So Peter's fond of using doublets, two terms in succession that say essentially the same thing. Here, for emphasis, he uses what could be called a four-term doublet, right? So instead of just two things, he's put four things to talk about what God will most certainly take it to the bank, the bank of heaven, God will most certainly do for those that are His. I gave you the Mark Dubus quote there. Um, he's a professor at Union Seminary. I think he's at Southeastern now. In light of a doublet's function of adding rhetorical emphasis, a loose paraphrase for this highly emphatic quadruplet might be, God will make everything right beyond your wildest dreams, which is such a cool way to move toward ending the book of First Peter. Um, David Johnson's in heaven now. He was a British pastor who served in Rileyville, Virginia. He used to quote that promise from Hebrews, you know, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He himself has said, uh, himself has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he used to say, in the Greek, that's an eightfold negative. It's a forever, never, with no exceptions ever. <laughs> he will never, no, never, not ever, no, never. That's how the Greek reads, forsake you, which is pretty cool. And here's the neat thing. Peter's writing this. Had he experienced that kind of restoration? He sure had, hadn't he? You remember Luke 22, 31 to 34. And um, Peter had boastfully said he would not let Jesus down even if all the others did. And Peter said, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. He says, Peter, let me tell you how it is. Um, you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. When I, when, I, when I settle things for you and forgive you and bring you back, when I restore you, strengthen your brothers. And John 21, of course, is the great passage where on the beach they're there. Christ is risen and Peter's so happy. He'd been, he'd been happy to just be on the back row the rest of eternity, you know. But uh, Jesus didn't save him to be on the back row. Jesus saved Peter to be active in what he was going to do to win people to Christ. And he saved all of us for the same reason. There's really, there's no back row in, the, in, uh, in, the, in heaven, you know. Uh, God just keeps moving the back row out and saying, come on up and you tell us your story, you know, of God's glory and what God did in and through you. And let me tell you, when you didn't even realize what was happening because of your faithfulness in giving and your going and doing this or that, I'll tell you, the angels will tell you, we got it written in the books of heaven here for those that are so humble and many of you are so humble uh, that you say, when did we do that for you, Lord? And I say, hey, when you did it for Justine Barber, you did it unto me. Uh, when you did it unto that child that you brought to church, you did it unto me. Um, and it's going to be very powerful. I know that particular passage has a, you know, end of the tribulation time since maybe Matthew 25, but I think it gives us a word picture that all Christians can use all time to think about reaching out to others. And uh, so Peter went on to help others get restored as evidenced in this very text. Well, uh, the third thing, all believers are called to reconciliation ministry. So there's your fill in the blank. Um, Peter even speaks about it as he's saying goodbye. <laughs> so as he said goodbye, he mentioned Silvanus. Uh, it's the, does anybody know why sometimes it's Silvanus and sometimes it's um, Silas? Silvanus would be the Latin in a Roman world. Um, uh, that was his Roman name. And Silas would have been his uh, Hebrew background name. So uh, that's why sometimes when you're reading in the letters, you hear of Silvanus and you hear Silas other places, same guy. And uh, 
he says goodbye. He mentions Silvanus, the church in Babylon, and John Mark. And probably by the church in Babylon, it's a reference to the church at Rome where Peter was imprisoned. Um, so all were examples that Peter had been restored and devoted his life to feeding God's sheep, strengthening others. Peter had been Silas's pastor uh, back in Jerusalem. And um, in J Acts chapter 15 is the first time we talk about this guy Silas. Acts 15, they have the Jerusalem council, and it basically says, listen, we are not going to throw legalistic works like circumcision and dietary code onto these Gentiles that are coming to faith. You don't have to become a cultural Jew to be a Christian. Uh, you can be a Christian and uh, you don't have to then do the Old Testament civil law things. And they were very, very clear on that in Acts 15, and they wanted to go and tell all the baby churches about that. And um, you might remember that Paul and Barnabas, well, in Acts 15 we read that, that uh, Silas was a respected leader who, along with a brother named Judas from the Jerusalem church, was chosen to carry the church's letter about grace to Gentile churches along with Paul and Barnabas. So there was a time that Paul and Barnabas went out and... Um, uh, Silas and Judas were with them, and they had this great preaching tour and telling the churches and those things. But when Paul and Barnabas had their sharp disagreement over John Mark, I mean, that was the plan anyway, but it wound up being two teams instead of one. Paul and Barnabas had their sharp disagreement over John Mark. Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. Silas went with Paul on his second missionary journey. And uh, he was with Paul when they met Timothy and Lystra, and they suffered greatly as they advanced the gospel. So he too had suffered. And he was in prison with Paul in Philippi. Remember that in the book of Acts, Acts 16, where they're in prison in Philippi? When, when they got thrown into prison for preaching the faith, what were Paul and Silas doing at midnight? They were singing, right? Singing hymns. And because they reacted differently to their circumstances than anything the prisoners had seen, anything the guards had seen, it led to uh, many more being saved as the nucleus of the Philippian church there. Um, he was with Paul during his intense opposition in Thessalonica and the great encouragement in Berea, where he and Timothy stayed longer. And they rejoined Paul in Corinth and spent 18 months there. Paul, Silas, and Timothy together wrote the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Here he helps Peter write 1st Peter. So because of Silas's suffering, we get him to be the co-author of several books of the Bible, not only with Paul, but also with Peter. I mean, that's pretty cool when you think about it, you know, that this cat uh, was involved with ministries of these great men. She who is in Babylon, uh, there in verse 13, greet, uh, elect together with you, chosen with you, greets you. Uh, again, that's probably a reference to the church of Rome, many of whom were in the maritime prison in Rome with Paul and Peter. Uh, Nero was persecuting Christians, and God used it to plant Babylon Baptist, uh, which is pretty cool. And in the midst of the suffering, God was at work. Same thing happening around the world today. And then there's one more key example of restoration. We've seen it from Paul's perspective, but here it is from Peter's perspective. And who is it? Uh, who else is in verse 13 that Paul refers to? Mark, my son. Mark, my son. Sends his greetings. So here's Mark's story briefly here before we close her up. Mark's mother in Jerusalem had opened her heart to the Lord and her home to the church. We hear about that in Mark chapter 14, probably in Acts 12, 12. Some believe that her house was the upper room house. 
So that might have been John Mark's mother was the home that uh, provided the hospitality where the events of the upper room happened. It may be where Peter gathered with the disciples in between Jesus' death and resurrection after Peter had denied Jesus. It definitely was where Peter went after he got out of prison. Um, John Mark had joined Paul and Barnabas on the first mission trip, but when they encountered suffering, he said, this is just too hot up here in the kitchen, and he took off. And uh, when Barnabas and Paul were about to go on that second mission trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, and Paul did not. And sometimes brothers have disagreements, and they're not wrong. They just see it from different perspectives. Uh, I believe in that case, um, Paul was more concerned about the integrity of the ministry. We can't be witnessing to people and having people suffer for the Lord and one guy taken off, you know. Barnabas was more concerned about the potential minister. And I'm glad he took notice and did what it took. He had a family reason to also. They were cousins. Uh, but Barnabas did what it took for John Mark. But John also had ancient ties to Peter, you know. And so it, apparently, even as Paul went on and did all the great things he did for the Lord, it wasn't just Barnabas ministering to John Mark. It was also, uh, it was also Peter. And I think we get clear indication in passages like Colossians that Paul later realized, uh, Colossians and Philemon, that Paul later realized that Mark had turned out okay, even though he'd blown it with Paul, uh, that he turned out okay. And we, we need to never write people off, you know. We might not be able to do the current ministry with them, but we need to keep on praying that God will use, grow them, use them, and that uh, be very careful about burning bridges in your life, you know, with people. Sometimes people get real mad or hot about something and they just, they just show their tail so much they pretty much can't ever go back there again to that church again or whatever and things. Be very careful with that. Life is, uh, in one sense, a series of temporary assignments, but we never know what God's going to bring back around again. You know, so keep loving people even when uh, you've got different church homes and different uh, uh, ministry assignments and things like that. Well, uh, Barnabas and Peter did help restore John Mark, and Paul did acknowledge how helpful he had become. 2 Timothy 4 is another place he does that. Colossians 4 mentions him, I think, in Philemon. And because of that restoration, what gospel do we have? The gospel of Mark, <laughs> which is probably mostly gleaned from Mark's relationship with Peter. You've probably heard that before. Peter has Mark with him here, and many people think when we get Mark's great gospel, uh, it's in large part because of the extended time he spent with Peter. There's things in there that seem very personal to Peter's experience. Uh, the one who had restored Peter, Peter had been restored. Peter helps restore Mark, right? So he had passed it along. Jesus restores Peter, Peter restores Mark, and it just keeps going. And the God of all grace is still doing stuff like that today. For the true believer, restoration is guaranteed. And it's not maybe the most spiritual song, but I like the little ditty that John Denver used to sing. We've got new names and faces this time around, but gospel changes are still going down. And uh, we'll close with 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. 
To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Tabernacle Today.